Everybody ready? We're good to go, cameras? Yeah, good. I'd like to uh, begin by acknowledging we are on the territories of the Lekwungen speaking people, the Songhees and Esquimalt First Nations. Is audio okay? I'm getting a bit of an echo up here. We'll just test the audio and make sure that, are we back on track? We're good now? Okay. Okay. Thank you all for being here this morning. I know many of you were here in the same place when the public engagement began on how we vote in British Columbia just over six months ago. I said at the time, and it's worth repeating, that this process is focused on British Columbians. In a democracy, no matter which form you believe is best, it is the people's voice that matters the most. They have the final say. And the engagement process we have taken here is based on that core principle. From the very beginning, my office worked hard to give British Columbians the opportunity to direct how this referendum should work. And British Columbians are not one to miss an opportunity. This was one of the most successful public engagements the province has ever undertaken, measured by any metric. 180,000 site visits, 91,725 questionnaires completed, 208 written submissions from individuals, 46 written submissions from organizations or individuals associated with those organizations, hundreds more submitted endorsements of one or more of the organization's submissions, and 132 responses from Indigenous people throughout the province. This engagement has provided us with a firm footing for the recommendations I am bringing forward today. Now, I know that not everyone wakes up in the morning thinking about electoral reform, and yet, people are engaged in a conversation about how they vote and fundamentally how they are represented in this House, the Legislative Assembly of British Columbia. It is perhaps no surprise that when you listen into these conversations summarized in this report, it is clear that British Columbians have a range of viewpoints on these issues. The challenge of this report was to balance a variety of viewpoints and the feedback we heard when considering the final slate of recommendations to Cabinet. Perhaps the most important structure, uh, question is the structure of the ballot question itself, or in this case, questions. As you'll see on the screen, based on our engagement, my recommendation to Cabinet is to have two questions for British Columbians to consider and vote on. The first question is simply to ask, whether the people of this province wish to keep the current first-past-the-post voting system or move to a system of proportional representation. If the result of the first question is a majority vote in favor of adopting a proportional representation system, then the result of the second question will tell us which model we will move to. If the result of the first question is a majority of support for the current first-past-the-post system, then there will be no change. For the second question, voters will be able to rank their preference of three proportional voting systems. All voters, regardless of how they vote on the first question, are eligible to express their preference for a specific new system in the second question. Voters may rank one, two, or all three systems, or no systems at all, according to their preference. This freedom allows everybody to participate equally. Referendum legislation passed last fall requires that the results of the referendum is binding on government. Therefore, voters will know that if a majority support moving to proportional representation, 
one of the three voting models on the ballot will be adopted. The three systems that will be on the ballot are dual member proportional, mixed member proportional, and rural urban PR. There is more detailed information on each of these systems in your background appendices in the report. I have made a recommendation that the Chief Electoral Officer, and not the Ministry of Attorney General, be responsible for informing the public about each voting system and about the referendum more generally, providing the public with neutral, factual information. With respect to these three systems briefly, dual member proportional would create ridings the first being elected by first-past-the-post, and the second on a proportional basis. The mixed-member proportional option would keep first-past-the-post elected MLAs, but add seats on a regional basis to increase the proportionality of the results. And rural-urban PR is a system that would elect MLAs using single transferable vote in ur urban areas and use mixed-member proportional in rural areas. These systems are recommended to be on the ballot because they correspond with what we heard, including British Columbians' values, as well as a review of all suggested PR systems. Through this process, we develop principles that I have turned into formal recommendations. Specifically, those principles are proportionality. Any proposed voting system must provide results that are generally proportional to the percentage of votes cast for each party. Local representation. Any system on the ballot must respect British Columbians' desire for effective representation in all areas of the province. No region of the province should face a reduction in local accountability. In other words, no reduction in the number of MLAs that represent. Simplicity. Any system on the ballot must be relatively simple for voters to understand and use. And size of the Legislative Assembly. No system on the ballot should require a significant increase in the number of MLAs in order to be effectively implemented, and any proposed system must be possible to implement without any increase if necessary. Finally, based on engagement feedback, to respond to the concern that parties with fringe or extreme views may exploit a potential system change, I have recommended that for any of the PR voting systems recommended for the ballot, no political party should be eligible to receive a seat if they receive less than 5% of the overall vote in the province. Often, concern about small system details being slanted to favor a certain group or party was expressed during the engagement. With this in mind, and if voters choose a proportional system in the referendum, I have recommended that the necessary post-referendum work of tailing the technical details of voters' chosen model be assigned to an all-party committee where no one party holds a majority of the seats. Input on these details would be gathered by the committee from experts, election administrators, and the people of BC, and a report delivered to the legislature by March 31, 2019. One of the difficulties of asking the people of BC to decide between a new system and the old system uh, is a simple reality that no one will have been able to experience how a new system works and see the consequences of their choice. That is why I have, again based on the engagement feedback, recommended that even if the majority of British Columbians vote to change the system in this referendum, it not be an irrevocable choice. I am recommending that there be a confirming referendum held after two general election cycles to ensure British Columbians are comfortable with their choice once they see it in action. This second confirming referendum 
has not been part of any previous proposals for voting reform. But I agree with feedback received that giving British Columbians a chance to experience both systems for two general elections and then make a fully informed choice to confirm the new direction or revert to the previous system is an important safeguard should British Columbians decide to vote for a proportional system. Now, other key recommendations I have made to Cabinet. It is recommended that the referendum campaign period start July 1st, and that the voting period when ballots are mailed out begin October 22nd of this year and end November 30th. There are a number of other recommendations I have made that relate to third parties. In particular, I recommend that two designated groups chosen by Elections BC on opposing, opposing sides of the debate should receive $500,000 each to stimulate public interest and debate about the choices on the referendum ballot, restricted by rules around the use of this funding similar to the 2009 referendum. In general, I'm recommending that third parties be treated in a manner similar to third parties during provincial elections. I recommend that donation limits and restrictions on union and corporate donations that have been introduced at the provincial level continue to apply and that should a third party be successful in raising such an amount, that advertising limits be set at $200,000 for each sponsor during the campaign period. MLAs, cabinet ministers, and other officials within government will be restricted in the same way they have previous referenda, like the HST referendum, and elections in their ability to use public resources to campaign. Finally, I have recommended that, no matter the outcome of the referendum, a legislative committee be established to work to improve Indigenous representation in the legislature. This is independent of the referendum and based on feedback received from First Nations communities as part of this engagement process. Topics discussed by that committee would include accessibility and inclusion and the possibility of creating one or more designated seats for Indigenous people in the Legislative Assembly. In conclusion, it remains my priority that the people of BC be as involved as possible throughout this process. First, they were involved by way of a public engagement that gathered their views and informed these recommendations. And today, as I am releasing the report publicly before presenting it to Cabinet, I noticed that in Quebec, the opposition parties have made a commitment to move towards PR without the need of a referendum. While there is nothing legally, legally wrong with that approach, I do not believe that it is the right one for British Columbia. Ultimately, British Columbians, through the referendum, will determine how we vote in this province. I'm now happy to take your questions. The recommendation that I'm making to uh, Cabinet and uh, that this be a principle uh, enshrined in any model that goes forward in British Columbia is that any party that receives less than 5% of the vote province-wide would not be eligible to send a member to the Legislative Assembly. Uh, in essence, uh, the people who voted for uh, that party uh, would not be uh, sending a representative to the Legislative Assembly under that recommendation. Um, the other thing is we were told during the technical briefing that there really wasn't a consensus in the feedback over one ballot or two and what would be the options on the ballot, and there wasn't a consensus about the three options. Uh, am I right in thinking that those are your choices 
the, the two ballots and the three options. And if that's the case, are you going to uh, take yourself out of the position of neutral arbiter going forward from this date? So uh, the recommendations uh, of this report are absolutely mine. Uh, they're based on the feedback of British Columbians. When you have a chance to look at the feedback, you'll see that an overwhelming majority of people who participated, whether it was in the panel, whether it was in the online uh, consultation or otherwise, wanted to see one or more specific systems on the ballot. The challenge is identifying which systems then uh, should go on the ballot, which system or system should go on the ballot. Um, there are probably as many proportional uh, representation systems as there are people in this room, and for those people who aren't here, there are a lot of people in this room. So deciding on which systems uh, to choose was a serious question and an important one. Uh, I uh, relied heavily on uh, written submissions that we received uh, from groups uh, that are interested in proportional representation, including a symposium uh, that was put together uh, by, I believe it was Simon Fraser University, uh, looking at uh, different systems, evaluating how they represented the values that were uh, contained in the feedback that we received from British Columbians. So you will see three different systems, and they represent different uh, strengths or weaknesses of proportional systems. So with respect to uh, dual member proportional systems, uh, the, one of the options on the ballot, uh, a more simple uh, to understand process, uh, less directly uh, related in terms of, uh, of uh, proportional representation, in terms of people's vote, more generally proportional than specifically proportional, but easy to understand for people. And there was a strong consensus in the consultation that people wanted a simple uh, ballot, they wanted simplicity. Uh, however, a rural urban PR provides voters with very detailed opportunity to specifically choose candidates, a uh, much more complex system, a single transferable vote in urban areas and, uh, and a uh, um, mixed member proportional system in rural areas. And so uh, in providing these options to British Columbians, I wanted to make sure that they had opportunities to decide because the value of direct proportionality and empowered voters uh, electing uh, specifically and directly with the most information possible is at odds with the value that was also expressed of having a simple ballot that is easy to understand. And so by providing these different options to British Columbians, the goal was uh, to actually give them a chance to direct uh, government about where they would like to go. I wasn't comfortable with the idea of not providing British Columbians with specific systems and sufficient detail for them to understand how this could play out in the province. There are additional details uh, which are not contained here, uh, which will go to an all-party committee in which no one party will have a majority. I think it's important to note that smaller political parties and larger political parties will have different interests, uh, and that is why no one party will have a majority uh, on this committee. And also there was concern expressed that uh, the devil's uh, in the details and, and details could be chosen to favor uh, one group or another. So a fully transparent all-party committee uh, was the direction that we chose. So uh, somebody in government uh, needs to be responsible to ensure that the regulations go through, uh, to ensure that, uh, um, that uh, Elections BC has a contact with government as they need. Um, I will continue to be that person. But um, I have removed uh, the Ministry of Attorney General from any role in uh, providing information to the people of British Columbia around the systems, around the voting process, something that was proposed and something that has happened in the past uh, under previous referenda that within government the information office for the referendum is within government. It will not be within government. It will be within uh, uh, Elections BC. Um, another important difference 
uh, our office, the Ministry of Attorney General, will not be selecting uh, the groups that receive the $500,000 uh, on the pro uh, uh, first-past-the-post, on the pro-PR side. Uh, that will be Elections BC as well, uh, under criteria that were rec recommended previously. Under the details, uh, after a uh, particular system may be selected by British Columbians, uh, my office will not be involved. It will be an all-party committee. So functionally, aside from the role of, of advancing regulations uh, and a technical role of being available, uh, should Elections BC have concerns that they wish to raise, um, the role of my office uh, as of today, bringing this forward, is complete. Um, I do, uh, I, I, um, but uh, uh, despite that, um, I will not be participating in any uh, caucus or cabinet discussions about uh, proportional representation. I will not be participating at all in any campaigning related to pro proportional representation so that I can maintain my role of being available to Elections BC as necessary to address any issues that may come up. On Election BC's role, is there any sense of how much money they have to run this? What will, information will they provide to the public? Will there be an extensive breakdown of the three systems? Will there be maps provided in terms of representation? You know, where, who you're actually voting for? Will there be descriptions of, you know, how parties can put forward candidates? Will people know who those candidates are? Is there any sense of what is being recommended around Elections BC and the amount of information they must provide to the sure. public? So we're asking Elections BC to do a very specific job, which is to pro provide uh, British Columbians with the level of information that they need to make an informed choice in this referendum process. They will tell government uh, what they need to achieve that goal, and they will make the decision about what information goes out uh, without interference uh, or without influence uh, from government. So I expect to hear from Elections BC if these recommendations are adopted by Cabinet. I expect to hear from them what they will need from government in order to achieve that task that we have put in front of them. And in terms of Cabinet's decision, you mentioned in here you'd like the campaign to start July 1st. Are you anticipating Cabinet will have its decision made before then? Yes, it's, uh, it's very clear to me that the, uh, the groups, uh, uh, both in favor of first past the post and in favor of uh, proportional systems, are ready to go. I would like uh, for this process to start in an official way as soon as possible in terms of the oversight of elections BC. And so I'm recommending to Cabinet that the start of the referendum campaign period be July 1st, 2018. Uh, and uh, I'm advised by the public service that that date is achievable, uh, both from the perspective of government and in their discussions with elections. Minister, your party and the Greens both campaigned openly for a change to the system. That was, it was obviously stated campaign point. Um, do you think that uh, for a bias, uh, given I uh, hear all your recusals and you're neutral and whatnot, but wouldn't they have the impression that they're being a little bit kind of stampeded into uh, going along with what you want? Uh, the final decision on this is British Columbians. The ballot uh, questions are clear. Uh, and the information will be provided to them by a neutral third party, by Elections BC, who will oversee the process. I have uh, every confidence in the people of BC to be able to uh, make uh, their own decisions about how they send people to this place. Uh, and I have every confidence in Elections BC to be able to provide them the necessary information to be able to do that in a neutral and impartial way. Uh, in addition, uh, we have also uh, provided equal funding 
uh, or I provided a recommendation anyway uh, for equal funding to a pro first past the post group and a pro uh, proportional representation group, the groups to be selected uh, by Elections BC so that both sides of the debate uh, are heard during the campaign period. So there are a number of, uh, of safeguards in place to ensure the British Columbians uh, get to do what the intention uh, is behind all these recommendations. They get to exercise their democratic right to uh, tell government about how they would like to send people to this place. And these memories from the past uh, 10, 11 years ago where um, people wanted to know exactly what the change meant. It's, uh, we just got the technical briefing. I think it's an open question, if not a negative answer to the question. Will people know exactly what the riding boundaries are in, in when they're mulling over which model to opt for? Yeah. Or did the simplicity and the urgency kind of outweigh the need for October 22nd to November 30th? So the decision around boundaries uh, in the event the British Columbians vote to change the system uh, will be made by the Independent Electoral Boundaries Commission. Uh, these are quite lengthy processes. Uh, the Electoral Boundaries Commission takes in a significant amount of information from the public, public feedback submissions, uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, we are putting forward uh, not one and not two, but actually three There's audio up top now. for British Columbians to direct uh, government in the event they choose a proportional system, uh, which way they would like to go. Uh, the realities of that were in terms of uh, having the system in place uh, for the next election, uh, that you could not have an electoral boundaries commission uh, complete that work for three systems uh, and still uh, meet that timeline. So what we have attempted to do is provide sufficient detail for British Columbians to know how the systems would roll out, uh, what the implications would be, um, Elections BC uh, will provide them with uh, independent, neutral information about that. Um, and uh, if people feel that they have enough information to vote, uh, they will vote accordingly. And if they feel that it's not information, they're not comfortable with it, um, they will vote accordingly as well. Um, these are uh, uh, the timelines we're working with. I note that uh, whether it was the, uh, the BC Liberals in their throne speech or with the BC NDP uh, in, their, uh, in their commitments around uh, when this would be held, uh, both uh, committed to a referendum on, uh, on how uh, people are sent to this legislature. The timelines are such uh, that we have provided as much detail as possible to British Columbians to make an, an informed choice. Okay, we're going to go Bender, Justin, Dirk, and then we're ending with Chef. Thanks. I've heard you talking about uh, simplicity. There are three concepts here that people will need to wrap their heads around. I'm sure some people are going to find it uh, time-consuming but also confusing. There are details to be worked out afterwards. So doesn't that make achieving meaningful engagement here more difficult and more likely that a small number of people? Um, I have to say that uh, in, in running uh, this engagement process, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by how engaged uh, British Columbians were. 180,000 uh, visits uh, to the website uh, uh, more than 90,000 people uh, filling out a detailed questionnaire on proportional representation and electoral systems. Uh, people are highly, highly engaged in this. They are very interested in it. To my knowledge, it is the uh, biggest engagement by most metrics in the history of the province. Uh, so I am uh, very enthusiastic about the direction that this is headed, and I hope that this report and the recommendations uh, lay the groundwork for further engagement. Uh, for opportunities on both sides of the debate to get out there and get their points of view seen. 
uh, and opportunities for a neutral third party, Elections BC, to provide British Columbians with the information they need. Uh, there is uh, no scenario uh, that uh, I could picture where there wouldn't be uh, technical implementation details that we were unable to, con unable to anticipate that would have to be addressed in terms of any legislation to change the system. And so in order to ensure a spirit of transparency around that, uh, I recommended that these details go to an all-party committee where no one party has a majority of seats. So um, this is the approach uh, that we've taken and the enthusiasm for British Columbians around this discussion uh, is a pleasant surprise and I'm hopeful it's an indicator and that we have uh, laid the groundwork with these recommendations uh, for a very spirited debate and a high level of participation by British Columbians. But 90,000 is only a fraction of all eligible voters. Do you have a number in mind in terms of how many people you would like to see? I'd like to see a, a very significant number of British Columbians uh, participate in this process. That's why, in part, uh, the mail-in ballot uh, was chosen, because traditionally it has a higher level of participation in British Columbia. Uh, we did look at, uh, for example, host, holding the uh, referendum in conjunction with the municipal election. Uh, there were a couple reasons we didn't go ahead with that. One is municipal elections have a lower level of participation traditionally than uh, mail-in ballots have had in the past in the province. Uh, and uh, secondly, there were complications around the fact that the voting list for municipalities was different than the voting list for the referendum. And when we looked at those factors, we said, well, we want to have uh, the maximum participation possible. So we went uh, uh, with the mail-in ballot uh, recommendation. So uh, throughout this process, choices have been made to encourage uh, the maximum number of British Columbians to participate. And the spirit of these recommendations is to encourage the maximum participation and, and information available both uh, on, on either side of the debate as well as neutral information uh, so that they can make an informed choice. Uh, I guess the question is uh, why not have a second referendum? Just have a first one of a simple yes or no question, then a second one on the merit, so that the vote at the end of the day for that second, uh, if it's yes on the first one, the vote on the second one ensures that you have a large degree of people saying yes to some sort of system, whereas in this way, if people choose not to answer the second part of the question, you could have theoretically less than 20%, 25% of people saying yes for mixed member proportional, and it's still is the system that's chosen. So why not have that second vote? Um, the uh, intention of having the two ballot, uh, the, pardon, the, the two question ballot is uh, quite straightforward. Uh, one is uh, to provide uh, British Columbians uh, with the ability to make clear their preference about whether they prefer uh, first past the post, the current system, or whether they would want to move to a, to a proportional system. The second is to give uh, all British Columbians, regardless of how they voted on the first question, regardless of whether they voted on the first question at all, the opportunity to provide direction to government about which uh, system uh, or which system they would like to see. Uh, implemented in the event that a proportional system is selected by the majority of voters. Um, there are many theoretical possibilities that nobody votes for the first question and everybody ranks a uh, system. Uh, that uh, that uh, a bunch of people uh, uh, only choose uh, one system on the, uh, the ranked ballot on the bottom. That, uh, that nobody fills out the second question at all. Uh, there isn't even any direction given for voters. Uh, these theoretical possibilities are certainly possibilities but I don't think they are likely possibilities. Uh, by a ratio of two to one, the people who provided feedback to us wanted to see at least one specific system on the ballot, period. And the recommendations uh, reflect that spirit. And also the fact that there's more than one 
reflect the fact that there was a diversity of views about uh, specific values that people have about simplicity of a ballot versus the, their information as voters and ability to uh, direct uh, quite specifically um, their vote. And so uh, those values are at odds. Uh, and so we put two systems on the ballot um, that, that uh, reflect either ends of the spectrum and then uh, the mixed member proportional system which maintains first past the post and then adds on uh, regionally elected candidates to ensure proportionality. Um, so uh, there is a variety of uh, options available to British Columbians to indicate their preferences uh, and the intention behind all of this is to ensure that the voice of British Columbians uh, are heard. I'm not sure uh, the uh, clear benefit between having the two questions on the ballot in one run versus one question and then a second referendum later, uh, what the significant difference would be uh, in those two scenarios. But what I can say is that uh, certainly given the commitment of, uh, of government to have, if people move to a proportional system through referendum in place by 2021, uh, two separate referenda uh, is, not, uh, is not possible. Um, the, uh, and I think that, uh, I think that addresses uh, uh, generally um, uh, those issues. Minister, can you explain again why we actually need to have a referendum to change our voting system? Um, technically speaking, uh, you don't need a referendum to change uh, the voting system. Uh, the opposition uh, members in Quebec uh, have uh, committed that if they form government uh, next time that they will move to a proportional system in Quebec without a referendum. Uh, while there is no lawful barrier to that here in British Columbia, uh, I believe uh, that there is a very serious uh, issue with that in terms of credibility uh, of, uh, of that system change. And so the uh, uh, holding of a referendum gives British Columbians the ability to do two things. One is decide whether they want to make a change and direct government uh, what kind of change it is they would like to see if they elect to move in that direction. I also want to note that um, something that's unique in the recommendations that I'm putting forward is the need for a confirming referendum. Uh, people, uh, in the event that they decide to change the system, uh, they don't know what that system is going to look like in practice in British Columbia. British Columbia is a unique place. And so having the opportunity after two general uh, elections to say, you know what, this is not working. Um, and uh, that could be after a minority parliament fails to form a majority and then there's another general election right away, and there would be a referendum uh, about whether to keep uh, the new proportional representation system or to revert uh, back to first past the post. Um, so I think that that safeguard, combined with the referendum itself, uh, attempts to achieve uh, the goal of ensuring British Columbians have full control over the direction of how we send uh, people to this place. wants us to go to a proportional representation system, but changing the status quo typically requires overcoming some inertia, particularly when people might not feel that they really have a handle on the systems that we're going to, they don't really know what the referendum maybe is going to mean. Do you think that we have enough time to really discuss these ideas, and might the government be its own worst enemy with its self-imposed timeline of November 30th? Uh, I think it's important to note that uh, a writ period for a general election that sends uh, elected officials to this place is, is typically a month. Um, the campaign uh, period that I'm recommending here uh, is, uh, commences July 1st, uh, 2018, 
and the end of the referendum voting period is November 20th, 2018. Uh, so this is a very significant uh, campaign period. It is a long campaign. Uh, you could make the argument that a long campaign, you know, people lose interest, they burn out on it. Uh, there, are, there are implications around a long campaign versus a short campaign. Um, the benefit of a longer campaign in this situation is that uh, these are uh, three uh, systems that are on the ballot that people uh, will generally not be familiar with. They're going to need to inform themselves about what they would look like and so on, and they'll do so with the assistance of Elections BC. They need the time to do that. Uh, the various groups that are interested in this will have the opportunity to go out and make their case. In fact, a, a pro-group, uh, a pro-PR group uh, uh, and a pro-first-past-the-post group will receive uh, public funding to get out there and make their cases and engage uh, the public on these issues. So uh, there will be a significant amount of time for British Columbians to kick the tires on this and decide which direction they'd like to go.